Welcome to the Tribe of Testimonies. Here you will find conversations with faithful Native American members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, sharing their stories and their love of the Savior. My name's Andrea Hales. I'm Navajo, and I'm glad that you've decided to come and join us today. My guest today is Lamiki Westland. She came to my house, and it was so fun. And she talked and told me about her dogs and her children and how she and her husband met and got married. And we talked and we talked and her she brought her husband and he was like, yep, yep. And he verified everything. It was kind of fun. It was fun. I'm glad that she came. Um, she is just great. I just love her. She works at BYU and she, I mean, we talk about that a wee bit during this this conversation about how she, even in her job, has seen some miracles that just testify to her of God's greatness. And I think that's important to recognize whenever, whatever we do, wherever we are, to recognize God's greatness because he is everywhere and he is great and he is good. And I hope that you enjoy this time with Lamiki. Here she is. I'm in my home today with Lumiki Westland. I'm I'm so glad that you came. We've had a good few minutes visiting already, and I'm really grateful for that. Would you please introduce yourself in your tribal way as much as possible? If it's in your language, great. If it's not, that's fine. Not everybody speaks their language, and some languages are dead. My name is um, Lumiki Westland. I'm the granddaughter of Olive May George, great-granddaughter of... Catherine Anderson, and the great-great-daughter of Joseph Anderson. Um, we, we introduce ourselves based on our matriarchs, um, but we throw in Joseph because he was a chief. And our tribe is the Port Gamble Sklellum. There's three branches of Sklellum, and I'm from the Port Gamble. Okay, cool. So would you please share something that you love about your heritage as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ? It could be pretty much anything, a story, celebration, way of life, a ceremony. What do you love about your heritage as it relates to the gospel? One of the things that I really love about um, our tribe and the things that we do is that we're fishermen. So when they go out for the catch and stuff and they have fish fish left over, everybody has a cooler on their front porch and they make sure that people get fish so that they have fish to eat because nobody in our tribe goes hungry. And it's that's a tradition, you know, watch out for your neighbor. And we do that in the gospel with fast offerings and our tithing we take care of our take care of each other not just each other but other people with um, natural disasters and things that's what i love about our tribe is we do that too we're very family oriented is another reason why we introduce ourselves that way um because we like to know our ancestry and our heritage um the other thing i love about our my tribe is that because we are family oriented um we're very focused on the elders and the children in our tribe. So um, one of my favorite programs they have is that the grandparents are the daycare providers. 
So they run the daycare and they speak Sklalem to the children and they teach them some of the traditions and that way they know who they are. They don't just read about it in a book or they don't just hear about it through a lesson. They got to live it when they, sorry, when they were kids because they got to be with the elders before they were gone. And I love that. So how long have they been doing that? They've been doing it for quite a while now. I, I, I don't know how many years, but for quite a while it's been like that. So I, I know that as long as we've been a, a tribe, the elders have taught the young. So, you know, not daycare like now, but it's probably been going on as long as we've been a tribe, probably been the people. Our name um, translates to strong people. I think that's so cool. So, um, yeah, so, and they are, they're strong because to live through some of those winters, <laughs> you know, get pretty cold in Washington, so... So you you said you're fisherman and you live in the the tribe is in Washington where, uh, where Port in Julia Port Yamble, it's like um, across the bay basically from Seattle you can get on a ferry and just go across the bay. So last time when we were up there we were up there for my uncle's funeral and my aunt and her husband stayed in Seattle and just came across um, on the ferry. So if you drive it's long it's like probably about five hours or so, but if you or maybe longer, I don't know for sure, from Seattle. But if you come from just the ferry, it's only like about 30, 30 minutes, 45 minutes to ride the ferry. So we're just right there on the water, on the Puget Sound. So uh, were you raised as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me clarify that. Um so I spent a lot of time with my grandparents when I grew up, my mother's parents. Um, my mother and father had a volatile relationship. Uh, he was a alcoholic, um, drug addict. He came, he would, when he'd get too drunk, he would be violent to her, not to any of the kids, but we would see that, of course. And so we would go live with our granny and our granddad and then they were the ones that planted that seed of the gospel and then they would every time we would be with them and live with them they would make sure that they watered that seed and teach us the things we needed to know that being said they didn't really have to convince me too much because when i was little um and i would hear them out fighting and i would hear what was going on and stuff and i would start to panic I could always feel a warmth and a peace come towards me. And I I knew who it was. I knew who it was before they told me who it was. And when they gave it a name, I understood that's who it has always been. And I told my husband one time that I don't like it when people tell me that there is no God, because if there is no God, that meant nobody loved me when I was little. And I know they did, because he was always there when they were fighting. And so he always protected me and my brother when he was they were fighting. And I know it because I could feel it. And it's the same feeling I got when I got the got confirmed. And so um my dad passed away when I was ten. And um my mom remarried and he told her that partying days were over and you start taking the kids to church and so we started going to church and we were lucky because in the town where I grew up, it's called Wales in Utah. <coughs> they're very it's a very loving town 
And so we learned a lot about the gospel then. But I've always kind of considered a lucky spiritual gift that I had that from day one, I always knew he was there. I didn't ever have to question it. I knew the church was true before I even read the Book of Mormon or heard of it because I felt him. I knew he was there. I felt him just like I can feel my husband holding my hand right now. So, yeah, we grew up kind of in it, but it was a volatile lifestyle we led for quite a while. So, uh, You said Wells, Utah? Yeah, Where's Wells it? is like, Wells in the, as the country, not like W-E-L-L-E-S. Oh, W-A- it's not, it's W-A-L-E-S. Down by Moroni. Down by Moroni. Got it. It's that weird, cl- it's that little cluster of trees by the West Mountain. It just looks like trees. It's actually a town. It's called Wells. <laughs> so, yeah, I was, I was blessed to be able to live there and grow up. So, because my, what they moved, my mom moved us down there from Utah County to get away from our dad. So our grandparents actually moved us down there. And so um, we were blessed to go down there. So I still have friends from, I've had friends from there, from where I grew up still to this day, 40 years We've been friends. We went to lunch with them today, <laughs> two of them, yeah. So it's nice to have people that know you that well. We always tease. It's nice to have people that my friends and I, we always like tease. We have to stay friends forever or we're just witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> you know, teenagers. I don't so know what you're talking we about. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to stay friends or we're just witnesses and then you know so it's just a joke we like to say and plus i'm like they know me so well and they love me anyway can't ask for more so (laughs) so so you told me though that your your native heritage comes through your father's line it does do you want to tell that story so um the sklalem part of my life comes from my grandmother olive may and she was the she was the mother of my father and his father was actually Native Hawaiian. And they, she was a, the last trade bride of the tribe. So he, well, that means he traded for her. They didn't get married for love or anything. He, the story I understand from my aunt um, was that he made a really beautiful canoe. And my grand, great-grandfather was so impressed by it that he let him marry Olive. And um, that was not a good thing. Because he, he was really a dangerous type person and they got in a lot of fights and they got in a huge fight when they were up in Butte, Montana because he was a a, um, a coal miner or a miner up there. They met because he was a merchant marine and then when they got married he was a miner and they went to Butte, Montana and they were up in that area and they got in a big fight and she was leaving because she wanted to go back to the reservation and get help to come and get the kids and he after the fight she was leaving and he said if you leave me i will do something that will destroy you forever and she left because it was too dangerous to go back and so when she came back she found out that he had given the kids to welfare and claimed the parent had that she'd abandoned them and she wasn't um allowed to get them back because back then if you were native and you lost your kids to the government you never got them back and so but she kept trying and she went um, looking for him, and the DCFS at the time had told her that they were in Denver. So she moved to Denver. She lived there for seven years looking for her kids, and the whole time they were in Orem, Utah, and had already been adopted. But luckily, 
my grandparents that adopted my dad and his siblings, they adopted all of them. So, yeah. So there was five kids and they adopted them all. So they were all together. They got to grow up together. And then they found out later that they had another um, brother that she had after. And um, he was put up for adoption. And he found us about, I think, seven years ago um, through the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And um, he was a member of the church. He grew up in Walla Walla, Washington. That's that's crazy. Yeah. And that's why we were up there, though, because he passed in February. We didn't expect it. It was a sudden. He was the youngest, and it was sudden. Everybody was kind of caught off guard. I was actually at church when I found out. They called me, tell me. And so he was awesome. He was, the minute I met him, it was like kindred spirit right there, you know. And it was because he was still um, so active in the church and stuff. My aunts and uncles and my dad were raised in the church, but only one stay. <laughs> so, and then Uncle Dennis. So, it was nice to be able to talk to somebody else about church. <laughs> Do you think that that was just because of the turmoil of their their life before they were adopted? I don't know. I know that I asked my dad one time about his dad. And he told me um, he was a drunken waste of space, and that's all you need to know. And then I asked him about his mom, and he said she was loving, beautiful, kind, gentle, and I love her. So I think it has to do with the fact that they took these kids that were used to Native cultures, brought them to Utah, told them you're Mormon now, and kind of blew them away a little bit you know because like my dad was not a little kid he was I mean he was but he was 10 old, 11 years old, enough old to know to know the difference you know and to know that this is not what he was used to and this is not what he'd been taught who he was and now he's this other person and he's expected to be something else and then when he was 17 he went to Vietnam for two tours so there's a lot of things that I have to look at and say okay you know all right I understand why he was messed up but then again there's a lot of things that I have to say you know what you could have taken care of that too so it's you know it's a weird situation but I think a lot of them did leave the church because I think they felt it was forced upon them and so um but I've never felt that way because I always I found it very organically in my own life and you have a relationship with those adopted grandparents too right I did yeah until they passed yeah yeah so how did you how did you find your um your native family how did they find you how did you find them so the story was that we've been told by um my aunt is my dad's younger sister um she said that when our grandma and grandpa Jacobson, they're the ones that adopted. Out of Orem. Yeah. Um, when they called um, and told everybody they were going on a mission, they called all the kids together and they asked them if there was anything that they could do for him. And she said, uh, they said, yeah, find our mom. And so grandma was like practically the bomb of dot com for the church when it came to genealogy. She was really good at it. The church actually paid her to do gene genealogy. So she found him within like three or four days, found grandma. 
Olive May. And so they drove up in the truck and they went to the reservation. They went to her house. She wasn't there. And her husband told them that she was out walking the dog. So they go find her and they pull up next to her and she didn't respond because she didn't know why there were white people following her along <laughs> the reservation. And Grandma Jacobs had said, um, are you Olive May George? And she said, yes. And she said, um, I know someone you know. And she said, I don't think so. And then just kept walking. So Grandpa caught up with her again. Grandma got out of the car, got in front of her and said, I know five people you know. And she realized what she was talking about. Started to cry. Got in the truck with them. Went back to their house. And Grandma had made a big photo album of all the kids and the grandkids so she could see us all. And they spent just hours and hours and hours talking about us. And so she did get to be all with all of her kids again before she passed. Except for my my father, he'd passed before she got to be with him. But she got to be with the rest of them. So that was a beautiful thing. But whenever I heard, when I heard that story, I was like, I can't even imagine having these white people pull up on next to you at the reservation <laughs> from out of Hi. state. Yeah. You talk hard. You're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. She thought the whole time her kids were in Colorado. Why would she think, you know, what would she think of a Utah truck following her, you know? But yeah, they, uh, grandma said, as soon as she said, I know five people, you know, the light just went right on. She knew exactly who she was talking about. And did you get to meet your grandma, Olive? When I was little, I was really small. Yeah, at a, my dad's funeral. So, and and also Grandma Kathy. So, um, I'm the oldest grandchild, and um, she whispered in my ear. Um, Grandma Catherine did, and she whispered in my ear. In Sklalem, I didn't know what she said, so I asked one of my aunts later. I said, I don't know what she said. She said, "You will come home someday, little one. You will come home." And I have been. I've been home. So that's all she ever wanted, is to have the kids back. That's why they they call us the lost generation, though. Because those kids that were put into the system, we lost our culture. You know, and so we're trying to find our ways back to our tribes, to our, our real people, and, you know, and know who we are. So, but what's great about being indigenous is they're big on teaching you who you are because <laughs> we don't want to lose our culture so it's been amazing to be able to learn from them the things I need to know so and when we went to we went to the when I was up the reservation last time we went to the library and they're like your uncle carved that paddle your uncle carved that you know they're pointing out all this stuff and we were reading a they read a book to us it's and it's got sklalem words and stories in it and after she we read it she said Lady said, um, your great-grandma just read you a story, just told you a story, she said. And it's because my grandma Catherine had helped write that book. So I, it was amazing. So I immediately bought, you know, some off of Amazon. They're all used copies because you can't get it really new anymore. But, yeah, so to get them for our kids and stuff. Yeah, so Saya is grandma. And so, yeah, it's called Saya's Song. Mm-hmm. Sia is grandpa. So sometimes when I hear somebody say Sia, I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, funny. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. So um, you said that you got your own testimony 
organically when you were around 17, you said? No, I was quite a bit younger than that. Oh, younger than that. Okay. How did, how, how have, how has the gospel, um, just been a part of your life? Like, I know you also were in the military. That's true. Yeah. So, like, tell me about this stuff. <laughs> so, because I come from such a volatile background, um, when I say I came by it organically, it's like what I said is, um, I always knew he was there. And then my grandma and grandpa, my mom's parents, we call them granny and granddad. Um, granny and granddad, especially granddad, made sure I understood who it was. Because he was like my confidant. He taught me to read when I was like three, you know, taught me how to write my name when I was 18 months old. Lamiki's not an easy name to write, you know, but he taught me. And so he was like my confidant. And so one time he had just come and got us from the house because they'd had a big fight and my dad had gotten arrested. So he came and picked us up and we were sitting reading a comic strip. That's what he taught me to read on. And then I told him, he said, I'm sorry that you have to be afraid all the time. And I looked at him, I said, but I'm not afraid all the time. And he, I said, there's always somebody there. He always makes us feel safe. I said, but I don't know who he is. And I remember this conversation just like happened yesterday. And granddad said, I do. And when he started telling me who it was, he started telling me about the Savior and about the Holy Ghost. I knew what he was telling me was true from that minute. And I was little. And that's when I started growing my own testimony because I knew what he said was real. And that was true. And that was who was there. And that's why I wasn't afraid because I knew somebody else was protecting us. And so, um, and being the oldest kid, you know, you want to protect your siblings. But so people are like, have asked me many times, you were, why were you, why weren't you afraid? And I'm like, I wasn't afraid because he made me so I wouldn't be afraid. So they wouldn't be. And so, um, so my testimony started very young. Of course, I had my rebellious years when I was a teenager because, you know, you got to do these things. But, <laughs> um, but I didn't quit believing. I always believed. And then um, when I w- left for boot camp, they gave me my little um, Book of Mormon and, you know, Bible, the little set that they give you to carry around back when I was in. And um, I was laying on my rack one night and I was crying because I was homesick it's not fun. I mean, boot camp is not meant to be joyous. It was horrible. Everybody around me was crying. And then I was thinking, you know, I just need some peace or so- I need peace or something from this. And it came right into my brain. Your scriptures are in your drawer. So I grabbed the Book of Mormon and I opened it up and just, and I read first Nephi 3-7, just like that, you know, I will go and do. And I thought, I can do this. I can do this. I'm supposed to be here for a reason. And from then on, I didn't cry, but I read him every night and I could tell he was there. And we tell our primary, cl- I tell my primary class that all the time. You're never alone, even when you think you are. I told him it was dark there in boot, in the, um, in boot camp. There was nobody being nice to you. You were, you were alone, but I wasn't. And I knew I wasn't just like when I was a kid, I knew I wasn't. And so he always got me through that. And then I still wasn't active. <coughs> and then we got married. My husband and I got married. 
and he wasn't active. But then I decided when we started having kids that I needed to start a less, at least letting them know so they can make their own decisions. So we started taking him to church and my testimony kept growing and um, he wasn't going to go. I, I asked him if he was going to go and he told me when my husband, he said, don't ask me anymore. And then a couple months later, he comes down the hall wearing a tie and stuff. I didn't even know he had a tie. <laughs> I forgot he had one. And he, um, I said, where are you going? He goes, I'm going to church. And I said, I don't want to go to church with me. He says, you can't make me not go to church. And he's gone ever <laughs> since. Um, <laughs> high council, you know, cor- elders quorum president, you know, all that stuff. And so um, he could feel, he said he could feel that we were going down one path and he was going down another and he said he he tells people I decided to chase that woman and those kids down the right path, and so we got sealed in the temple. Um, eight years after we married, we had all the kids sealed to us. And when we walked into the Manti Temple, two of my teachers from high school were in there, and one of them started crying because <laughs> I was a wild child in high school. And so, but he said I always knew I'd see you here. And that made me feel really good. He's like, I always knew it. He was my shop teacher. And um, and then when our daughter got sealed um, about five years ago at Manti Temple, we walked in there and the sealer was my seminary teacher. And he was the seminary teacher that always would never give up. You know, he never gave up on the wild kids. In fact, we were all in his class. <laughs> And um, he was awesome. And when he saw me, he he started to cry. And he told my da- our daughter Tahani. He said, um, "You do not know how amazed and how happy I am to see your mom." He said, "I always loved her. I always prayed for her, and to see that it actually took and she's here, it just brings so much joy to my heart. And that I get to seal you to your husband with your mom as a witness." And so. He was, and he, and then we came downstairs, it was in the tower of Mount Tai, and he come running down the stairs, and then he started telling my daughter some funny stories about me that wish he hadn't, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but they already know, but they've all been told that they can't read my high school journals till two years after I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, but um, uh, if my any of my friends hear this, they're, they're probably going to go, there's journals, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> yes. I keep journals. So, um, but yeah, so my journey to be every time I think I'm not doing this, it'd be so much easier. Just let it go. He reminds me that no, it's not going to be on the other side easier if you let it go. Cause you know better, you know, it's easier to stay. And so he's done so many beautiful things for me, you know, he gave me the strength to take care of my sister while she was dying. <laughs> because I didn't know that I was dying at the same time. I was septic and I didn't know. And I was taking care of her. And then she passed away and I ended up in the hospital with sepsis. But I was strong enough to take care of her that whole time. He let me be there with her. And so I always, I thank him all the time for letting me be her sister, for letting me see her come into the world and let me watch her go because she was a gift and she was amazing, you know, 
And he's the one that made me strong enough to do that. He kept me well until she was gone. And then he's like, okay. And then in 2021, I had an operation and I had my gallbladder out. It was supposed to be a simple operation, but they cut my common bile duct and ended up taking all these other operations to save me. But the first night after they did that, I was, they had me an inpatient. I mean, it was the outpatient and they kept me outpatient won't let me go. They kept me overnight. They said they didn't even dare move me to the hospital. And so I was really scared and they smuggled my family in <laughs> so they could see me. They weren't supposed to be there, but they brought them in so they could see me. And after they left, I was really scared and I said a prayer. And uh, <laughs> I had my eyes closed and I prayed to him. I said, please, I need comfort. Please send me comfort. And the funny thing is, it's kind of funny, but when she, it was not really funny, but um, when my sister was passing, she told me, um, you know, no, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, I'm always going to be with you. I will always find you. And she said, um, and when it's your turn, I'm coming to get you. I'll come get you. So that night I was praying and as sure as we're sitting here, I felt her hand in mine. And I said, have you come to get me? And I heard a little giggle and it was hers. And she said, no. <laughs> she said, mm-mm is what she said. I said, don't leave me tough. I'll see if I'm scared. And she said, mm-mm. And then I woke up the next morning and I said a prayer of gratitude for letting that happen. Because they're just right there. And he let her be there for me when I was scared. And to let me know. She wasn't there to get me. <laughs> she was there to just comfort me. And I've had a lot of those experiences. When I decided, to, when we went through the temple and had our endowments out, I also got sealed to my my mother and my stepfather. Because my stepfather, um, born, I told you on the phone, he was born to be a parent. When he married um, my mom, everything leveled out. And um, my life got a lot easier. He taught me how to play. I didn't know how to play. So he taught me how to play baseball and soccer and stuff. And anyway, so I got I got sealed to him. But before I got sealed to him, um, I was kind of debating whether I should or not because a lot of things that happened to my dad, it wasn't his fault, you know. And so um, I went and talked to my my dad Jose and um, about my dad Gary, and. I said, I'm not sure. And he said, Miha, he goes, pray about it. He says, you pray about it. And whatever you decide, he says, will be fine with me. He goes, because that's how it needs to be. And I said, okay. And so I've only told a few people this. So anyway, so that night I had a dream. And um, I dreamt I was, I was walking down this hall and it was all white. I mean, it was bright white and I'd seen it before because well that's a different story but I knew where I was and there was an escort with me and I'd seen him before I knew who he was but I don't really know how to describe him when I'm you know but I know I know him and so he he was walking with me and he said um someone needs to meet with you and I said okay so we walked into a room and I don't even remember going through a door and then he goes, have a seat. And I didn't see anything to sit on, but I sat and there was. And then there was like a table in front of us. And that's why I kept thinking, this is a dream. But then um, 
from across the table from the door. My real dad walked in. My biological father walked in. And um, he sat down, and he reached across the table. He took my hands, and his hands were warm. So I was like, maybe this is, this is real. This is happening to me, you know? And um, he said, he goes, I will love you forever. He goes, I will love you. I love you so much. He goes, but he's the one that earned it. He goes, and I understand. I really understand. And then he said a few other things to me that I don't care to share. But um, so um, he's like, he goes, I'm your dad. He goes, but he's your father. So um, I, uh, they came from the door and they said uh, a different, they called him a different name. And he looked back and they said, it's time to come back for your studies. And he said, okay. And so I was like, studies. And then I thought, well, they're probably t helping him to learn the things and get over certain things, you know, helping him, you know, because he was not upset. He was not having a horrible time. He was not, you know. And so I just remember him holding my hands and he kissed my hands before he left. And he says, I love you. I said, I love you too. Because <laughs> I never got to say that to him before he died, you know. And he smiled at me and then he left. And when we were walking down the hall, right, just right before I woke up, that escort was looking, he, the guy that was escorting me through, he looked at me right in the, I can still see his eyes. He looked at me right in the eyes and said, he really does understand. And I knew right then I needed to be sealed to Jose because he's, like my dad said, he's your father. Which um, my dad, Jose, never would let us talk about our biological father he was mad he didn't because of the way he treated my mom and us kids and everything and then my dad got hurt in 2003 he had molds fall on his legs and I was taking care of him one day and I went in and he was laying in bed and he had his scriptures open across his chest and I said do you, he was had tears rolling down his cheeks and I said um poppy did you need medicine do you need something and he said no I think I just had a personal revelation and I said, okay, I won't ask you. He says, no, it has to do with you. And I said, what? He goes, I just realized that in the pre-existence, your, your biological father and I must have loved each other deeply for him to let me raise his children if he couldn't make it. He goes, I can't even understand how much we loved each other. He goes, no, that might not be the case for everybody. He goes, but in this case, I know it's true. He goes, I know it's true. And he said, so you can talk about my friend to me. So he goes, you can talk about my brother to me anytime you want. He said, he let you come to me and be my daughter and be sealed to me. He said, we loved each other and I know it. So from that on, period on, you can I can tell him anything. I can ask him anything, and I can tell him how I feel about my biological father. I can ask him questions about what he thinks, and he never, ever puts it off. He never says, I don't talk about that. I don't want this. I don't want that. He's become where he's very understanding about my father's past, my dad's, uh, Gary's past and stuff. So my dad's 
will just listen and talk to me about it and give me advice about it and stuff if I have a question or and that moment I was like that's how I know you know I know Heavenly Father is working behind everything he's part of everything and that's how he was like to me it said Gary gave you his daughter so here let me let you fill you in on this because of the dream that I had you know and I've had a few dreams like that when we were going to get our uh, my husband and I were going to get our endowments um the night before not well it was a few months before we were still just doing the temple lessons and I um had two cousins that passed when they were teenagers on my mom's side and we were pretty close um well the one and I was and my sister was were with the other one and our grandfather had already passed and I rem- I had a dream that I was running through I was walking through a field and my cousin came she was only 19 when she died she came running towards me and she hugged me and I hugged her really tight cuz she died of cancer and she she just smiled at me she didn't say anything she took my hand and we started running down this hill and there was this big tree down the hill and there was all these lights on this tree and I could see my grandfather down there and he's tending the tree and my cousin, other cousin was, he waved at me, but he was helping him. And then my grandfather whistled to me like he used to when he needed me to do chores. So I looked over at him and he reached down and he picked up two pieces of fruit that were on the ground and were going bad. The lights were going out on him. He picked them up. He kissed both of them and put them back on the tree. I didn't realize until we went through the temple that, that was me and my husband. He was putting us back on the family tree because we're sealed to him and them now. He wanted us to know that it was real. This is a real thing, you know. And so I woke up and told my husband about it. He goes, we need to do this. And so we were sealed just like a couple months later. And it was beautiful. It was a wonderful thing to have the kids sitting there looking at us. And they were all there and couple of them were being extra loud and we were kind of embarrassed but (laughs) they were little so but it was beautiful and I realized what that dream meant he was putting us back on our family tree because we had decided that we were going to go back to back to holding on to the iron rod so to speak instead of just wandering around and doing whatever you know so my testimony is something that I've been I see every day it grows more every day I see it happening every day. Everywhere around me, I can see his hand in something. So I just can't not say. I can't deny it. Even when people want me to, I just can't. I've seen too much of it to be true. I've felt it. I've seen him work. I've dealt with a lot with death. And I've seen how beautifully he takes them, you know, And I even have had friends that say, well, what about these traumas, car wrecks and stuff? I said, I think he takes them before they feel that pain, because why wouldn't he? You know, and so he's a loving, he's our parent, you know, if it was me, I would take him. So why wouldn't he? He loves us more than we understand, you know, and I know how much we love our kids. So that's a lot, you know, and so... um, that's why I mean I, I I can't deny what I already know. I knew it before I read the Book of Mormon. I even had a friend one time that said, "How can you how can you believe in the Book of Mormon when there is no archaeological evidence of it?" And I said, "Um, 
I believe there was a Sodom and Gomorrah before they found him. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, oh. (laughs) I was like, yeah, she's of another faith. So she was like, oh. I was like, yeah, oh. So, and then she just dropped it. But yeah, so I just, doesn't matter, you know, to me. That's mine. My testimony is mine and you can't take it from me. That's how I feel about it because I know. So it's like I told you happiness earlier. People can't take your happiness, you know, um, is what Nana said about boarding schools. You know, she said they can take your hair. They can take your language. They can take what you wear, but they cannot take your happiness. And so um, I feel that way about your testimony. You know, that's yours too. And they can't have it. You can share it, but they can't have it. Faith keeps me going. I'm not saying I don't ever waver because I do. Sometimes the world starts waving down on you. And I've always found that that's when he most, he most lets me know the most that he's there. It's like, don't forget, I'm right here. Remember, you're not alone. You tell those kids you're not alone. Well, you're not either. And so that's what keeps me going is I know. Plus, I always say, like President Kimball said, you know, he wants his body to be worn out like a shoe, like completely worn out. I'm going to do that, too. <laughs> I want that, too. Oh, when I die and I go on the other side, I'm going to say, that body was worn out because I did what everything I could do. So. So right now you work at BYU. Correct. And have you had any um faith promoting experiences through just your work um we work i work in a program where we do the funding because i i told you with the, earlier that the funding that i'm over that i help with and stuff um is tithing money and so it, um when i got my job they made me fully aware that it was not just a job it's a stewardship and so um, I was over doing an audit over BYU Hawaii one year. And afterwards, we were at the hotel. Um, I had my daughter with me. I th- no, it was my, my mom came with me. Sorry. And she, uh, we were sitting in the hot tub because they had a hot tub about, out back. And this lady was sitting in there too. And so she just started talking to us. And she said, well, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I work for Brigham Young University. I said, I'm over here for Brigham Young University, Hawaii, and I'm doing some audits and stuff. And she goes, she told me she worked at a university in Iowa. And she goes, she goes, I am so jealous. You guys got the best benefactor. And I know she meant the church. She said, you're really blessed with your benefactor. I know she meant the church. I know she meant the church. My brain automatically said, yeah, we do, because I automatically thought the Savior, because that's his universe, they're his universities, he directs the plans, and so I've seen, you would be surprised the things they can do with such little money, we don't get a lot of the tithing money, we don't, we get a very little bit, but the things we're able to do with it, and the things that we're able to keep dragging them out so they last longer, and like all, it's amazing to see it, and I know it's because of our true benefactor. I've had people come to me and say, I don't have enough money to finish this project. We're not going to be able to finish installing this. And like the very next day, somebody will close up their project and have enough funding left over, like to the dime. Oh my word. Yeah. And I'm like, I've seen that multiple times. So 
that always lets me know we are truly doing his work with the funding and doing what he says because that's how he wants it done because like BYU says enter to learn go forth to serve well he's making it possible to do that and so we don't like I said we don't get that much funding but you would be amazed at the stuff we can do with it 2020 was a perfect example they had we had the guys that we worked with, the installers, they had those uh, the universities up and remote tr- training before anybody was really seriously put out. It was amazing to watch how it was a miracle. Well, we know, you know, I said something about it to some of the installers and they said, well, like you said, we know who the benefactor is because I had told them that story before. We know who our benefactor is and he made sure it all got taken care of, didn't he? And I said, yeah, he did. Because we didn't have any extra income. We didn't have any extra tithing money. We didn't have any extra, you know, but the system. There, there was no money set aside for COVID. For COVID. Yeah. yeah. So, but we were able to make sure that everybody could st- still keep learning through that whole time and bring everybody online. It should have taken, something like that should have taken years, not months. And it only took a month, like a couple months to get it going. Okay. It was That's pretty so amazing. Cool. Well, I... I've cried. (laughs) I've laughed. I've enjoyed this time. Um, But I have one final question for you. What does it mean to you to know that you belong to the tribe of Israel? I guess the best thing I can say is that it's always, it answered my question from when I was a little girl. It's the reason he's there, right? It's the reason he's there, because we're all brothers and sisters, and he wants us to know each other, and he wants us to serve and love each other, and being a part of a tribe is being a part of a family, and the tribe of Israel is a really big family, and I love knowing that, so that's why I feel about being part of the tribe of Israel. Thank you so much for your time, and thank you for coming to my house. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I was, I have to say, I was, when I got your email, I was like, what? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, but thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. It's been a great experience. One of my favorite talks of General Conference just recently was President Henry B. Eyring's. He calls it our constant companion. So you can guess that that's about the Holy Ghost And I have been thinking about the Holy Ghost recently anyway. Like, I've been thinking about him and how grateful I am for him. And I've been trying to listen to him. And I I mean, overall, I've just been trying to pay more attention to him. I'm not doing a great job of it. I am trying. But here's some things that I wanted to share from Elder or President Eyring's talk. In regards to what I just said, like, even, even, um, President Eyring's got a few things where he's like, this encourages me. He said, he talks about Helaman's sons and in the Book of Mormon and how their story encourages him. He talks about Nephi going back and, and all the things that he did when he went back to Jerusalem he was led by the Spirit, by the Holy Ghost, and that encourages President Eyring. 
and a, and a couple things. He just talks about how even he needs encouragement to to do a better job of listening to the Holy Ghost. And if he needs help, let me tell you, I need help, okay? So I'm really grateful for that. Um, President Eyring says, if you want to receive the companionship of the Holy Ghost, you must want it for the right reasons. Your purposes must be the Lord's purposes. The key for me and for you is to want what the Savior wants. And when I was in high school in seminary, I learned this great uh, definition that said to be valiant in the testimony of Jesus Christ is to want what he would want, say what he would say, and do what he would do. And so I think if you're valiant in the testimony of Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost will, you will be able to recognize him easier and follow his promptings better. So I've been thinking about that. I'm really grateful for President Eyring's talk. But I've also, also was just, I brought this up to my husband the other night, thinking about how the Holy Ghost is the first gift that we receive when we make our first covenant. When we make the covenant of baptism and then we are baptized, we receive the Holy Ghost. That gift is available to all from the time we're eight years old, if we choose to be baptized, to the time we to the time we die. The gift of the Holy Ghost is available. And you can agree with me or disagree with me, but I'll, I also thought of this phrase in regards to that. And I know it is totally taken out of context, but I also believe that Heavenly Father uses words and phrases for multiple layers and purposes. So this phrase, as I've been thinking about how the gift of the Holy Ghost, this great, this great gift that is available to all of us from the time we're baptized. So, like I said, I'm taking this out of context, but I am applying it to this situation. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. So, I'm thinking about how that applies, like, our, our, the our baptismal covenant and that gift of the Holy Ghost is with us from the very beginning of our relationship, our covenantal relationship, all the way to the end. And because of that, we will always have that those covenant promises. Anyway, just thinking about that, you can take it how you want to, but it's been on my mind. I'm trying to be better about listening to the Holy Ghost, and I'm so grateful that I have been able to make that covenant and that I can renew that, those promises every week at the sacrament table. Make them again. And I hope you have a super wonderful, awesome day. Tribe of Testimonies is not sponsored by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music is a traditional hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, arranged and performed by Kyle Forsyth. I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear how this podcast is affecting you. And I'm always looking for guests. If you or someone you know would be a great guest, 
You can reach me at tribeoftestimonies at gmail.com.